Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of World Designer. Today with us is Katarina Ziga, the creative director and part of the management team at Edenspeakerman. Very happy to have you here today, Katarina. Thank you. Quite excited to be in the room with you guys. So, Katarina, please tell us, what were the most important points in your career? What shaped you as a designer? Um, I actually love that question and I also love to ask that question in application processes because I feel like, of course, there are super important milestones in your professional career, but there's a lot also going on on the side that shapes you as a designer. Um, And I think for me personally, um, one of the most important um, building blocks or the beginning blocks uh, was actually my art teacher in high school. Um, who taught us about design. So we actually did a few um, design tasks in school and uni- before university. So she really influenced my decision to go to design school and university. Um, and then I studied design in Cologne at the KIST. And that um, was super important for me because before starting school, I had the assumption that I would become an industrial designer. And in the end, studying in Cologne, um, which is quite a generalist design degree, I did everything but industrial design and ended up as um, a designer with a quite strategic focus. So, um, yeah, KIST was very important in that sense. So also being able to study with Birgit Maga, with service design expertise, and back then Uta Brandes, who was responsible for gender and design. So really learning a lot about uh, understanding users' behaviors and how to weave that into the design process and into the design products in the end. Um, And after school, I had a quick stint at Volkswagen in the future research and trends department, where we... That sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds quite exciting, right? (laughs) Um, And auspicious. Um, my time there was really focusing on how the electric vehicle might change the company. Um, so that was quite interesting to um, dive into the methodologies that kind of go a little bit beyond the traditional service design process. So exploring methods like backcasting and the Delphi method and things like that. And after that, I actually ended up in my first real job um, at IXDS. So um, coming from a quick insight of the corporate world really to the um, back then interaction design world of smaller, local, and actually private-led design agencies, also starting with a project around the EV. So this was... um, 2010, 2011, so when we still were afraid of um, the reach of the battery and things like that. And with IXDS, I stayed for quite a long time. So um, I started really at the beginning of my career and left after almost five years as a design lead. So was able to learn a lot about how to set up projects, how to run UX-focused projects, how to run research-focused projects how to run projects that really have different phases where you go from innovation all the way to product implementation. Um, We sometimes even had projects where um, we had developers on our side as well as external developers. So this was really, um, I think, the most 
shaping step in my career actually because I was able to really start my professional career and also grow within that company and grow into different areas of expertise and also starting to gain management experience there awesome. and talking about things that happen off the the traditional cv at ixds i also um, did my first sabbatical and uh, to start my um, yoga teacher path um, and yeah i did that w during my time at ixds And after close to five years, it was time for me to um, start something new and decided to go to BCG Digital Ventures as a strategic designer. And that was a super cool next step for me personally, because moving from a really design-driven agency, where really design in all of all aspects, really from strategic part all the way to hardware implementation, um, then moving closer to business and being able to work in a truly interdisciplinary team at BCG Digital Ventures was really amazing. And there we had the focus of actually of having three main offerings. So from innovation to incubation to scaling uh, ventures and um, yeah, just getting the experience of not only doing this whole research and innovation part, but then being part of a team that really builds a product all the way up to market launch um, is quite is still quite uh, interesting, interesting and exciting. So I had a really great time there. And again, I didn't stay that long. I stayed for a little over two years and was also able to grow there. And I think next to the project and venture experience at Digital Ventures, what was important for my personal development there was also to start the women's initiative in a bigger company context um, at DV. And after two plus years at DV, I took my next break <laughs> to deepen my, um, my yoga teacher skills. So I took I actually quit the job and then um, spent some time in New York with my yoga teacher to um, really deepen my teaching skills. And then I got the call from Eden Spiekermann and decided um, that that would be my next endeavor. And I'm with Eden Spiekermann since early 2019. And I'm a creative director there and part of the management team. So next to supporting our project teams, I'm also responsible for all of the people topics in our company and looking at how do we collaborate, how do we collaborate as a project team, as a company team, but also how do we collaborate with our clients. Wow, that's, that's very amazing. So you start as a designer, mm -hmm. um, then have a lot of challenges in the EV, right? Like you said, so that's, yes. that's, that's quite interesting because it was in 2010, like I said, 11. Mm -hmm. And now um, there is um, 12 years nearly, no, 11 years um, later, the, mm -hmm. um, the companies, they are launching, right? The EVs. Right. So you're like a, you've been a, a pioneer, right? May I say like that in this business? I guess so. At least around the user experience of driving electric vehicles. <laughs> And um, can I ask you what's, um, how it's changed over these last 10 years? If mm -hmm. you look back. Yeah, I think the main difference is really that it's become common. So I think 
there was this intermediate phase where all of a sudden all of the Uber drivers, they were driving hybrids and it became super normal. And now we're in 2022 and it's normal that people that we know personally, actually some of them, they have an EV. So for example, uh, beginning of the year, I um, was on a car ride with one of my colleagues and he's driving a Tesla now. And it was actually super interesting because we were in the streets of Berlin and some of the streets um, we were driving early 2011 with um, the test fleet from that client where you had the driver and the um, co-passenger seat and the rest of the car was the battery. And the main concern was really like, is it worth it? Because what's the range? And everybody was really afraid that they would kind of get stuck because there's not the charging infrastructure. And I think this is something that's completely part of the past because it's become normal and now we have this infrastructure and a lot of digital services that support the infrastructure and you don't have to worry that if you're on a longer trip and you need to charge your car you have to stay for six hours but it's actually possible to have a full charge uh, in under an hour so um, I think that's the the main thing that it's finally becoming something normal at least in in parts of our reality yeah it's becoming accessible for people yeah Like a few years ago, it was yeah something out of the future that people didn't believe would yeah become actually, reality. Accessibility yeah. is a really good point because of course there are only a few people that actually own an electronic vehicle, but through um, services like WeShare, it's also accessible to anyone who can drive uh, and lives in a bigger city. <laughs> and can I ask you second question related with the um, electric vehicle? Uh, it's like, um, because 10 years back, it was like a sunk of the future, if I say like that. Um, now it's become a reality and, and it is more and more accessible to the, to the anyone, right? Any of us. Um, from your point of view, is there a space, um, for the improvements, new features, looking at the, how the automotive business, um, is, you know, going to? Well, I think that, Actually, everything around not necessarily shared mobility, but more mobility that's, that offer temporary solutions is something that will be more and more important. Because, I mean, over the last years, of course, the sharing economy exploded. And I mean, living in Berlin, all of these services that are in Germany were are accessible. It's different in other parts of the country, of course. Um But I think that there's really like a shift in the mobility behavior and that this shift um, will actually intensify in the terms of that it will be more personalized and people will be less and less dependable on their own vehicles. More about sharing, right? Yeah, more about sharing and also more about the right mobility for the right moment or for the right use case so i'm thinking about things like cargo bike and that could be also electrified of course like for um things that are closer to your everyday life and to home and then of course you have a different mode if you're thinking about um professional travel and things like that so i think it will be more fragmented in the sense of that there are more mobility options at your fingertips And mm -hmm. people can be more flexible in the sense of what they use and for what. 
And what what do you reckon when this will happen? In another 10 years or, or quicker? I hope it will happen quicker, actually. Um, of course, I have mainly the German market in my mind. Um, I'm quite hopeful that we can already see this in five. Okay. <laughs> Katarina, you have experience in many projects, many sectors. And is there a favorite sector that you have? Actually, not really. <laughs> I really love, like one of the, the super exciting things about working in an agency is that you get to work in different sectors. Um, and I have a lot of experience with uh, mobility and finance and insurance and more and more projects in the health sector. Um, of course, the health sector is always something where we're excited about and also younger designers because the question of purpose is quite straightforward usually to find the answer there. Um, but honestly, like if I would have to choose like a niche, it wouldn't be a sector or an industry, but more the type of project. Um, and for me, it's really this, that it's going more towards building a venture or being part of this project or, or the product development actually. So, um, because that usually combines, um, the strategic work but super close to the product development. And I mean, this is, of course, also how we are um, positioned as a team and as a company at Eden Spiekermann to be able to build new products that are, of course, user and design driven, um, but at the same time also to do this together with bigger clients. So to not only help them from afar, but to build a team together with our clients and really help them how to either develop a new product and bring it to the market or to um, evolve a product to make it sharper and more um, relevant and more exciting for the users. What's the biggest challenge in such an approach? Mm, well, I think a, one of the biggest challenges is to set that interdisciplinary team up for success because it's always a mix of different not necessarily yeah, of course different people but also different infrastructures and different frameworks different modes of communication um, and from my experience it's really 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 worth it to invest some time at the beginning to set up this new team constellation for success and together define routines and rituals around the collaborational process. A lot of things that happen then, like happen after the kickoff, are things that uh, we have a lot of experience with that are normal to the, or known in the design process. So there's this um, notion of mastery in your craft and in your tools and in your methods. And that's something that we bring, of course, as a design agency and as designers and creatives. And from the other side, our clients also bring that expertise with their products. So to set up the collaboration that really both of these expertise can come together and create the strongest synergies. So I have a question because there's, um, there's no any favorite um, industry, right? But you work for many, many industries. Mm -hmm. And what's the... Because I can make an assumption that um, depends on the industry, um, it is easier or, or a bit more difficult to set up this new constellation. <laughs> and um, how is 
what was the, the most enjoyable and the easiest um, industry to work for you with? And why, why was that? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I can answer that in this because I think it really comes with the mindset that the individual people bring. So I wouldn't say it was the most fun or the most seamless process in industry X, but more of in the sense of the people that come together and make it work. Because I think it's regardless of the industry that people come from, it's really more about like, um, what do they bring to the table? Um, what do they like? Do they have support from their company? Um, how does their company context support them in this project endeavor? Um, so these are usually more systematic challenges that we would face, but I wouldn't um, connect that to an industry necessarily, but more than to individual setups. Thank you. So you, you just did confirm um, what I always say. It's, it's all about people, not the exact. Um, 100%. It's always yes. about people. <laughs> if the company is empowering people, it's easier to create a project and bring it to success. Exactly. And Katarina, what would you say? Is it possible to take the perspective of users, ecosystem and businesses at the same time? I think so. Um, I mean, it requires a lot of, not necessarily a lot of people, but it requires um time and some mastery in the craft to really like bring it together. So I think the one uh, dimension of this is to have access to the people that you need to talk to, of course, um, but then to like set up the research or like the, the whole framework, like how do you, how do you run the research? And then especially how do you synthesize and bring it together that, all of these perspectives are not only accessible to the people doing the research and like collecting all of the data points, but to making the insights accessible for the whole project team or the whole product team so that this really can weave into the whole project or product development process. So I think it's really key to not only like set up the whole research and methodology, methodology, but to set it up in a way that the deliverables are deliverables that the whole team across different um, areas of expertise can work with, that it's accessible to them, but it's also something that um, evolves over time so that um, that also stays relevant. Well, uh, you, your answer just blew me out. So. <laughs> Why is that? Like, I didn't expect it because... There are many aspects that go into that. Mm -hmm. And you really have to have that right experience and the right skill set to facilitate it. Because otherwise, I guess, one mistake and many things can yeah, just break down, so to say. Yeah, but I also think it's really um, a matter of um, balance, maybe. So to not underestimate that it's a complex approach. So if you really want to take in the user perspective and the ecosystem and then all of the stakeholders involved, um, to also like plan in the time to make sure that you really can collect all of the insights that you need. So I think a lot of times 
this might be underestimated in the sense of, yeah, we'll do a few stakeholder interviews and we have a small user study set up and then that's that. But to see it as maybe a small additional project stream that just really continues along the project. So I think a really important aspect of this, at least in the product development phase, is that you have ongoing user testing. And that doesn't mean necessarily it has to be every other day or every week or in every sprint, but it just has to be thought through and planned in in a way that's really woven in and aligned with the product development process. And I think another thing is that it's important to understand that the deliverables in this approach are usually living documents that evolve over time, just like digital product development. Like you have a rough plan and then you prioritize the features um, and sometimes you need to pivot and that has implications on the ecosystem that has implications on uh, maybe you need another user group. So to also like have this mindset that um, it's something that's super important and informative for the product development, but also that it needs to develop in line with the product. And how does design thinking kind of play into that? Because I know that you have... A hard view on design thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think design thinking is really great for the whole innovation process. So it's a great methodology to um, start to like to start to like dig into an industry, or like you can even go deeper and say to dive into a spe- specific behavioral context to open up and understand like what are what are pain points in this area, what are potentials, and then generate first ideas and really come from um, a super broad open question to a few prioritized product ideas. Um, but for me personally, I really think that design thinking is overrated because usually this is where the process stops. So it's great until you have a first idea But then when it actually gets down to business (laughs) in the sense of how can this product actually come to life? So what is needed to make a successful business model out of this, um, considering strategic goals of whoever is starting this endeavor, uh, considering the context, considering technical feasibility, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. This is where design thinking doesn't have an answer to. And so um, I really am really grateful actually to design thinking because I think it helped a lot to bring awareness and appreciation around any kind of user-driven design process. Um, And without that, I wouldn't have a job. (laughs) And I think without that, we would have a lot more shitty user experiences out there. So that's where, yeah, I'm really grateful for but I think um, there's a lot of magic that needs to happen when we start the real product development. And what 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 it um, what it could be? What's that? What what kind of magic you you talk about? What I just mentioned. So um, to like to set up a product development process for success. That really. So I'm I'm thinking about a new product. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be considered. So building on one of your earlier questions, so if you want to have the user perspective, the ecosystem, uh, the stakeholder perspective, 
you also need to have the technological perspective, the business perspective, like to really um, define like what are your um, what are your KPIs. I mean, it's always like a thing where a lot of designers are scared of like, <laughs> why do we need KPIs? I was wondering about um, because design thinking is um, from from um, one. I mean, um, from one place to the to the to the place where it starts to implement it, right? And I'm just wondering from your perspective, um, from your experience, what's what's changed um, for the designers from this moment? You use a different approach, use different tools um, because. You know the product become life, uh, and we start to learn um, from the people. Mm-hmm. Um, if mm-hmm. This what um, what you have created design really works or not? So it's 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 all about um, continuous adoption, right? Update of, of the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's about continuous adoption, but also about um, continuous collaboration, actually. So the best case would be that you start the design process with a super early idea. And from that moment on already, you are set up in an interdisciplinary way, whatever that means. There are tons of ways you can set up an interdisciplinary project team. But um, for the designer, what's I think essential is to really think about how do I collaborate with Uh, the product manager, for example, how do I collaborate with engineers? Um, how do we make sure that we are considering the business goals? So this could either be through involving someone from client side, or maybe there's someone specific um, that's in charge of that. So I think um, really this collaboration across different areas of expertise is something that's really a shift. Katarina. Can you tell me a bit about yeah, your experience as a yoga teacher and why you started doing that? Why you took those breaks as a designer? Because usually when someone starts designing, they design all the time. Yeah, they don't take those breaks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you went to the other side. Yeah. Well, I mean, initially, um, I just wanted to learn more about yoga. So I started my yoga practice um Like for real, probably the same time that uh, IXDS project with the electric vehicle was. So like at the beginning of my career. And I just uh, really loved the practice. Um, And my initial motivation was to just deepen my knowledge about yoga. And um, I had a great mentor during my teacher training who owns a studio in Berlin. It's called Peace Yoga. You should check it out if you're in Berlin. Um, And he encouraged me and a few other people who were also from Berlin to um, just start to sub sub classes. And uh, I did it. And it was just a lot of fun. And it's a really nice um, change of perspective, actually, to be a student of something and also to teach it. Um, And that's also what I would consider myself. First of all, I'm a student of yoga. And now I'm already, um, yeah, I'm a teacher as well. I have a lot of, I've studied quite a bit, but there's still a lot more to learn. And um, I think for me, I just found a way to um, balance it. And I like to work because I love my job. And I also really like uh, yoga as a counterpart 
where it's a lot about just yeah like getting grounded in yourself and like combining that with um with movement um yeah so for me this like taking conscious longer breaks something that really works well so that was the that that was my motivation when i did my sabbatical at ixts and deepening my practice after that as a student and as a teacher um it was quite quickly clear for me that i wanted to um gain more experience in teaching so that was then the next motivation to take a longer break <laughs> yeah and i mean i can really um i mean i could talk hours about the benefits of taking breaks and those are of course two massive breaks or taking a sabbatical and actually deciding to quit a job to do it um, but at the same time it's also a lot about taking smaller breaks like during the day getting out of your head and into your body or back to your breath and yoga is cool i mean there's a lot of there are a lot of nuances um to it that um you could just pick one of them to take a small uh healthy mind break during your work day yes. and how long how long you should um you should practice um to benefit from yoga because i i never done it I, i've done it once <laughs> to yeah. be honest and it's quite um difficult for someone who never you know tried that before <laughs> and i'm just wondering um what does this mean i mean i would like to start right yoga mm -hmm. and what does this mean is like a, you have to you know keep practicing for the three months and from now on or you start to you know enjoy it and benefit or, or it's, well, it's more about i think expression. any kind of time that you can free up to do it is a benefit already um, and I actually think that's the thing with a lot of um, can either be like practices like yoga or other kind of sports that a lot of people that are interested but don't know yet um, it can also be about design actually that you feel like it's like a huge mountain you have to climb and only after climbing the whole mountain you can say that you're a student of yoga but actually you could start with just practicing five minutes every week and then take it from there and see where it goes. So especially in yoga, it's a lot about the path and finding out like what it is for you. And how does yoga relate to your job as a designer? Is there anything that's connected strictly that let's say you're practicing, exercising, and then you have that brilliant idea about something? Well, I mean, for me personally, if I practice yoga, it really gets me out of my head and like into my body. And that means like that out of my head means that like all of the thoughts, all of the to-do lists, uh, all of the ongoing topics, they can, they're gone for a while. And I think it just frees up some mind space. And as a designer, I feel that's super helpful to like open up that space for other inspirational things to come in or actually also to be able to um listen to what's maybe already going on in your mind but you're not aware of it because you're so busy with the day-to-day -day. and after after because you, you said that you had a two years break right mm, no i didn't take no 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 i took one sabbatical that was three months and then i took okay. another break that was eight months Oh, okay. And is it easy? I mean, it's it's not a long uh, period, right? Um, 
for eight months, but it's still something. And how is it to get back to the design after this month? You, you just come up with a brilliant new set of ideas or it's like a starting from ground? For me, it was more like um, to get back into known territory, but with new energy and new additional perspectives. So you recommend for, for such break? Yes, <laughs> once for a sure. Year. No, no <laughs> matter. Well, I mean, once a year, I don't know. Um, it wouldn't work for me in my personal setup, but I think it's more about just finding um, the time also that you feel comfortable with. So, um, I mean, quitting your job to do that is quite drastic for a few people or for most people, probably. Um, taking a sabbatical um, is something that's maybe a step, that's an easier step if, if the um, context where you're working it enables that. So, um, yeah, I feel like just taking a break, no matter if it's four weeks or six months or whatever, um, is something super beneficial. And also... I don't think you need to have a master plan for that time. So that's something that I've observed quite a lot that when people um, say like, hey, I'm taking a leave of absence or I'm taking sabbatical, then the first question is, what are you doing? Like, what's your plan? And always having something productive in mind, but actually just having some, like taking a break to have time off and maybe just experiencing your own city as a tourist or just, I don't know, having a really long reading list or whatever it may be, even having no plans at all, um, can be super inspiring. Nice. And Katarina, now comes my favorite question of this <laughs> podcast. If you had a billion dollars to work on any problem in the world, what would you work on? Climate change. Why and how? Well, the how part is a very interesting one, which is... Um, not solved yet. So um, I would work on climate change because I think that it it influences all aspects of our lives, um, our lives and also future lives. Um, and I think that the planet that we live on is actually quite a gift in itself. And it's quite worth it to make sure that a lot of those elements that Mother Earth has in store for us to... Um, keep them or to uh, enable that it can keep evolving in a natural way um, and the how um, my husband works in climate change um, and we're looking or I'm quite informed through him um, and I think there are a lot of things a lot of great beginning ideas of how we can contribute to climate change. And one of them is negative emissions. So to think about, to come up with ways and technologies, how we can take CO2 out of the atmosphere. And luckily, there are some first solutions, but no solution yet that's really market ready and that really um, make a change that really <laughs> can be a strong counterpart to the emissions that industry is actually putting out there yeah because as a designer you can kind of affect climate change and you can come up with those solutions or help design those solutions and like that's the amazing part about this job yeah the amazing part about the jobs of designers and developers that together they can create a full-fledged solution to a problem but yeah first you have to ideate and come up what could it be 
Yeah. That's, that's the problem. That's Absolutely. the piece. I mean, one way of um, doing that is to take that as a, to take climate as an additional perspective when you develop an idea and a product. So usually there's the user perspective and the business perspective and the technology perspective, but you can also um, include, so what does that mean for climate? Like what can the climate impact of our product be? Yeah, but I think that the mindset uh, now it's changing uh, and we are start to look at the future, right? Mm-hmm. And every, uh, every industry, every business. Uh, so that's the, that's the positive. So we just need to uh, be consistent, right? And um, keep going and never stop. Yeah. A completely different topic, but with every project, there is a plan, there is a budget. And would you say that planning and budgeting is kind of over uh, underrated? So c- can planning enable you to improvise? Absolutely. <laughs> Actually, I think this is true for um, like huge projects. Uh, when I would have the um, also the sales perspective in mind, so when we sell a big project, um, already like thinking through how would we set it up. Um, I mean, it's a creative process in itself, but it also really contributes then how the start of the project uh, will run. And this is just as true for a lot like smaller entity, like a workshop. So when you have a very detailed workshop agenda where you know exactly what your desired outcome is and why you're choosing which approach and with which method, um, I think that really enables you to improvise and um, respond to changes during during the the workshop in that sense or during during a project. So I think that planning and budgeting is really part of the creative process as well. Because yeah. it looks like that strict part of the business that shouldn't be moved. It's there, but yeah, we can use that. The fact that we have a budget and that we maybe don't have that flexibility to be flexible. Yeah, but I mean, really, um, of course, I mean, it always seems like the less fun part of design business, but I would really challenge that because, um, first of all, like when a client or a potential client approaches us, it's already a compliment. So they could imagine technically to work with us and then to come up um, with an idea and a plan of how we would set up this collaboration for success and not only the collaboration, but also like the project work that would happen mainly on our side um, is already creative. Like what are the people, who are the people that we would plan in and um, what are other resources that we need? Do we need external support and how would we involve them? All of these thoughts um, and if this is thought through in a good way, then changing that while you're running a project is actually something that only means that you have to tweak at a few points and then you can already be more focused on yeah whatever whatever is needed. Uh-huh. So to see, I would really always see the, the budget as, um, yeah, I mean, it's a resource and the the team and together then with the client team, we're all, we all have the project success as our best interest. So use it creatively. Yeah. <laughs> and um, react instantly, right? Depends on the needs. 
Well, I'm, I don't know. This like React instantly is something that's like really ingrained in the old agency world. But for me, it's really more about responding. So also sometimes to say like, we don't know yet, but let's think this through properly and then respond. So to really like um, make conscious decisions. Yeah, but I, I mean, uh, by that, I totally agree with you, but it's not like a postponing that uh, in the months. Yeah. It's more about um, putting that in the in the pipeline and um, in the defined short period, uh, period of the time. Yes. This is what we should, we should do. Absolutely, uh, because, yeah. Because, um, you know, at the design or development, we cannot change um, one feature or design from one to another day. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. So, yeah, but, but I think that, that we are both agree on that. Absolutely. And Katarina, you said you worked with developers before, and I'm sure that you've heard or even encountered that little friction between designers and developers. So is there a way to facilitate that relationship and to make that work better? Mm, I had a really great experience on one project where we actually developed a new product and um, we had three development focuses. So one of them was the iOS app, the other one was the web application and the third focus was the back office. So it was also web application but really focusing on the employees rather than the end user. And in this setup, we always had feature teams in each sprint. So a feature team would be at least one developer and at least one designer and a product manager. Um, and this was actually a super great setup because then in every sprint, the feature team was responsible for one to, let's say, five features. And they would define together like, um, what would go into testing, uh, what is needed before that, what is needed for uh, the hard implementation process. Um, so this was really great because it was, of course, super beneficial for the design process, but essentially it was beneficial for all processes because there was always a representative of each craft um, to help prioritize, to, uh, was right there when we had the first user insights, to make sure that the insights go into the product development. So really, I mean, again, that means like how to set up the collaboration to make sure that everybody has the information they need and at the point in time that it's needed. Yeah, so kind of, it goes back to planning. And if you have a good plan, then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also communicating. Um, because what I think it's really about like setting it up together and making sure that it's not the designer running the test, then making the design, then handing it over to dev, but to understanding like where is the development team in their current process, where's the design team, and where do they need to communicate and exchange and interact and decide together. How many feature uh, feature teams you, you had up in that project? Um, I mean, we had at least three per sprint but sometimes it was more so usually um the product managers they were part of a few feature teams so mm -hmm. i'm asking because from the um, management perspective um you know when you have uh, multiple feature teams um 
from my experience is like a how to collaborate um how to set up collaboration like i said communication and mm-hmm. how to coordinate all that together mm-hmm. uh, where in the project you have a let's say free for designers right because that's that that was the setup um equal uh, number of the developers uh and to keep the product consistent <laughs> um to develop features to be to be integrated between each others um so that's the challenging here it's um it's quite i think it's very good um from that um result point of view when you have a tight small team which is very focused work very tight together mm-hmm. and um they they have a, a a goal which is not huge because having a features is like small so it's very good for the team but from that perspective um yeah the, the coordination of the whole these teams um this is this is the challenge <laughs> and the communication how to set up a good co- uh, communication between the teams <laughs> yeah yeah especially today when everything is remote that definitely brings its own challenge with it yeah yeah it's even harder it's even harder that's true yeah and katarina the last question for today what tip would you give to someone who's at the start of their design career is there anything that you would like to know when you started? <laughs> hmm. Let me pick one thing, right? <laughs> yeah, just one thing. <laughs> what what sorts of skills um, do you think are really important for the designers to have uh, at the outset? Mm, actually, I think the one thing I would start with at least is um, really to embrace exploring different things Um, because looking at it now also like being involved in tons of hiring processes um, there's not like one skill that you need as a designer I think the one thing that you really need as a designer is curiosity and then there are a bunch of skills that you can acquire also during the course of your career so not to be too stuck in, okay, this is the degree I have and this really defines my career path. Um, but to really stay curious and to also take detours sometimes. Um, not be afraid to maybe take a path that doesn't really at the beginning reveal to where it's going. But if it feels like your gut feeling tells you this is super interesting, then go for it. And time will tell. It will always be, it will have been worth it. That's very wise. <laughs> very wise. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you very much for today. You were an awesome guest. And please tell us, how can people connect with you online? Where can they find you? And Yeah, well, thanks, first of all, for having me. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to talk to both of you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can also find me on our Eden website. Um, write, write me an email, drop me a line on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, but I think LinkedIn is the best, best shot. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you once again. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at EliteCrew.io. We'll be happy to help.